Luke chapter 7 and verse 31. Big passage of scripture today. We're going to tackle Luke 7, 31 through 50. So it's going to take us all the way through the end of this chapter. And I think you'll see why. It kind of goes together. It's very connected. Um, And then we'll bring a a message uh, that I think is extremely relevant and extremely helpful um, for us, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. So Luke chapter 7, verse 31. Let's read it together. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Um, for the rest of the message, as I will read in other passages of Scripture, if you don't, you can look on the screen. Luke chapter 7, verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? So if I were to say this in this context, with all of us, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. What in the world is going on with these men? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? Or, what in the world is going on with these women of today? That's kind of what he's saying, right? How many remember where we were last week in this story? What happened? Does anybody remember? What just happened? What just took place? I'm trying to remember too myself. John doubted. So John the Baptist was doubting. Jesus did some miracles. The disciples went back, told John he is who he said he is, right? Jesus reminisces about John the Baptist. And then the Pharisees kind of are still like, what's this guy all about? They're questioning him. So Jesus takes a step back and he goes, what am I going to do with the men of this generation? That's what he's saying. Look at verse 32. They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, we have piped unto you. And ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not weeped. We're going to come back to that. And and we're going to explain that in in a context that will make sense today. Verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And ye say, he hath a devil. And the Son of Man is come eating and drinking. And ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you called John the Baptist out for being strange because he took a Nazarite vow and wouldn't eat or drink anything that you did. And here comes Jesus eating and drinking and going to parties and hanging out with publicans and sinners, and now you're calling him gluttonous. So it doesn't matter what extreme of one end or the other, it's not satisfying you. God is trying to show you something through this filter and then through this filter, and it's still not registering Right, But wisdom, verse 35, and this is a good key verse in this passage. I would underline this if I had my Bible open. But wisdom is justified of all her children. No matter what child you are playing in the marketplace, you're justified through wisdom. Okay, Verse 36, and one of the Pharisees, this is a kind of a transition in this passage, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. That's another way. An alabaster box is like a granite box, a stone, a nice stone box that was made for that ointment, uh, and that, that mining took place out of Egypt. 
That was where those boxes were made for that precious ointment. And stood, verse 38, at the feet of him, behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. She was crying so much being into the presence of God that her tears were literally washing his feet. And did wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed him with the ointment. You know, it was kind of a cultural no-no for a woman to let down her hair in the midst, in the presence of other men. This is, a, this is very symbolic what is happening here. Very literal and very symbolic. She's putting herself in an extremely vulnerable position. We see this? And now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, with the Pharisee that this was his house, this was his, his area, right? And when he saw what was going on, this man, uh, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that this is that touched him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering unto him, Simon, and there's no reason to feel like this is a Simon that you already are aware of, like Peter or another. Simon was a very common name back then. Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, And he saith, Master, say on. Go ahead, Jesus. There was a certain creditor. And he tells, remember Jesus spoke in what? Parables. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave what? Most. Look at it. Thou hast what? Rightly judged, Jesus said. And he turned to the woman and said unto him, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, which was customary. But she hath washed my feet with what? Tears. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no what? Kiss, which was customary, it's reasonable. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my what? Feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. So we're seeing here like key cultural things that it was reasonable for the Pharisee to do for Jesus that he did not do. Thou didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman hath anointed my feet with what? Ointment. Expensive ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth what? Little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, right, smart, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath what? Save thee. Go in peace. Father God, we love you. We pray that you would speak life into us from the word of life. We pray that we would be built up and edified together in your word as a church family. We pray that if there is one here that is needing of the gospel, that they would receive it, that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Father, that we would all be helped where we need respective help in our hearts and lives today. Strengthen us, encourage us in your spirit, and in your word, in your son's name, amen. There's a lot going on here in this story. Can you sense that? 
How many of you are intrigued with Jesus' words and the way he kind of portrays things? Anybody like find that interesting? I just I read his stories and I, I read the way he phrases things and the way he puts it together. And I look at it like, man, this is like some kind of puzzle. This is like some kind of riddle, you know? But to those that believe, to, the, to those that understand, to those that accept it, it's really not. It's more of a building up experience. It's more of an illumination. If you believe the word of God and you understand it, these parables are life to us. They're breath to us. But to those that don't understand it, it's damnation. It's hidden to them. The meaning will never come to light. And that's the scary thing. We have to find ourselves in a place where we understand the Word of God. The Word of God is speaking to us. Why? Because it is, it's alive. The Word of God is alive. It is quick. It is powerful. And if it's not working in eternal work in your heart and in your life, there's a problem. Why don't people... Let me ask you this question. The title of the message is, When You Don't Want to Play. When You Don't Want to Play. How many of you have brothers and sisters? Okay. I have the, the twins that uh, Ross, he's to that point where, you know, he's, he's all boy. All gas, no break. Right? River, his sister, is very much, uh, we call her indoorsy. She's, she's all about being inside. She's all about uh, comfort, relaxation. You know what I mean? Uh, why, don't, why don't you just uh, cuddle up on the couch? Let's watch a movie. That's her. Uh, 110%. Ross wants to jump off of the couch. He wants to be outside, climb to the highest point of whatever is around him, and just launch himself off praying he gets hurt. That is his personality. So Ross, when he comes to the river and he says, hey, this is how he says it. Want to play? <laughs> Want to play? And she says, sure. Takes about three steps with him and then ducks out. <laughs> you know, she's going the other direction. But the point is, is he just wants to play. And Rainy, she's more like Ross in that sense. So they go hard in the paint together. River could really care less. She's over there picking flowers and uh, singing whatever she does. Um, but those two, they really, they really enjoy playing. And that's his statement. Want to play? There's been times where one has not wanted to play, not even River, where Ross would say, or even Rainy would say to the one, say to Ross, hey, let's go play. And for some reason, whether it's their mood or their belly aches, they just say, I don't want to play. Leave me alone. Followed by copious amounts of kicking and screaming and crying because the other won't leave them alone. How many have a brother and sister that just would not leave you alone? I mean, that's how I was. You know, my two older sisters, they would just never leave me alone. Could you picture that? Or do you think I was the annoying little brother? Which way do you think it was? I was the annoying little brother. I was the one doing science experiments on their Barbies and uh, putting them in the, in the stove and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? But there comes a time in your life where you just don't want to play the game that's happening around you. And Jesus... After the talk with John the Baptist and, and all of that that had transpired, he's looking at these Pharisees and he's just saying to them, you know what, this generation, you're like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. And here's what he says. L look at your Bibles there if you have it. 
verse number 32. They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, look at it, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced. That word piped means like use a flute. The flute, the pipe, right? We've piped unto you and you didn't dance. In other words, we played you a song and you just sat over in the corner. I was at a wedding recently here and uh, the DJ was playing all these songs. I had no clue what they were. You know, they're all newer songs. And then I heard the illustrious line, Peace up, A-Town, yeah! And as soon as it happens and you hear Usher, right, come up with Peace up, A-Town, you know what's about to happen, right? And I'm like, ah! You know, and once again, I was like 15 years old, ready to get in the middle of the mosh pit, you know what I mean? And I know like every word of the song. Why? Because somebody piped up on their flute a song that meant something to me. And I wanted to be a part. I wanted to be in the mix. I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> all over again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in this cultural context, what, were, what, what was Jesus saying? Children depict that which is around them. And in this way, what he's saying is in this cultural context, a children in the marketplace, they are going to be uh, showing a game or playing a part of what they see culturally around them. So one, piping up in the marketplace would be that of a celebration or that of a wedding. So really the picture that Jesus is giving in context is, if there were a bunch of children playing, and they were playing uh, so-and-so's getting married to so-and-so, and you know like grade school kids do, and my daughter comes up, Daddy, I want to marry you, right? And I love that. And I, and I tell her, there's just going to come a day where you're not going to want to marry me. And I, I hate that. You know what I mean? Like, as a dad, I'm just, like, trying to hold on to every moment. And I'm driving down the road, and that Stephen Curtis Chapman song comes on 95.1 with, And I danced with Cinderella. And I'm like, <laughs> You know, I'm, like, dying in my, in my work, man. And I'm just bawling. And I'm having a moment. Why? Because... You know, she always wants to dance with me, and she puts her, her feet on top of my feet, and we put on a song. It's natural. It makes sense for children to want to do the things that adults do. It's reasonable for us to understand that my daughter sees beauty in that. All day when Alan uh, and Courtney got married in here, that so so I want to see the bride. I want to see her in her dress. She's just so excited. She's beyond excited. I can't wait, Daddy, one day. And I'm like, oh, one day. <laughs> it's reasonable. If my daughter were to be in a position where she would say as a child, I don't want that. Why are people so excited? What's going on? Like, what's up with all the hoopla? I would be like... What's going on in you, child? It's not like you. You see, there's nothing complicating her point of view. As a child, the purest form of enjoyment is every moment. They take it in and they want it. They see it for exactly what it is, pure, wonderful emotion, and there's nothing in their minds to cloud the point of view. And Jesus said, what about the other children that literally the wedding didn't do it for them? 
They mourned for you and you did not weep. They were acting out a funeral. Hey, do you remember the other day? You know, that when they came with that young man and there was that funeral procession. You know, and, and, and let, let's, let's act it out. And they get a couple sticks and a blanket and they tie it together. And the little kids playing in the marketplace reenacting a funeral. Man, it makes me sad. That boy will never play with us anymore. He was our friend. You know that story that's been going around Facebook, Gigi, you know, lost the battle with cancer. Really, she won in heaven. Thank God for heaven. But that conjures up emotion in our hearts. When we see death and funerals happen, you should inside feel some sort of remorse. It should cause you to weep. And Jesus said, you're like a child in a marketplace where it is completely reasonable for you to rejoice if we're playing wedding or for you to cry if we're playing funeral, and you did neither. That's how he described the generation. Do you see that in the text? How many of you can see that in this generation? They just don't know when to laugh and they don't know when to cry. They're all screwed up. Their emotional center is somewhere in the North Pole. They've lost touch of reality. Why? Because the union of man and woman in a marriage doesn't mean anything anymore. In this, where I came from, where I grew up, when there was a funeral procession, you pulled your car over and you sat there and you waited until it passed in respect for the dead. Amen. That's just how it was. Yeah. Around here, ain't nobody doing that. You're going to get run off the road. You know, when I first came here, I'm like pulling off the side of the road. And everybody's like looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, that's just what you do. You pull off. And now I'm right with them, you know, flying past it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm from Maryland now. Deuces. Hope you went to heaven. (laughs) It's just. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just a lack of, it's, it's a lack of cultural relevance. And Jesus speaks into this culture and he goes, y'all got it all backwards. When you can't have simplistic, childlike excitement for someone, when it doesn't do anything for you, we got a problem. How is the word of God How is it supposed to affect your heart? How am I supposed to get up here as a pastor and Jesus said the preaching of God is what? Foolishness to them that don't believe. Do you understand? But for the church, it should be life and breath and this should be encouraging to you. If it's not, listen, some of you just got to pull the plug because you're not playing the game of life the way Jesus wants you to play it. And that's the title of the message. When you don't want to play. Have you found yourself in a position today just simply where you can't enjoy simple things? Chances are you've taken the position of the Pharisee. Chances are you're, you're just, you've gotten, here's what my dad used to tell me, you've gotten a little bit too big for your britches. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to take it down a notch. And here, I've really been, like, I could just stop right here with the message, but my, my, my baby girl, she's growing up so fast. 
I can't, can't, like, she's just huge. I'm looking at her up here playing the tambourine today, you know. I just, it's blowing my mind. Every day I'm trying to just get every little moment with her. Soak up every little thing. I want to, like, we were talking about yesterday, me and my wife, like, I just want to take a trip with just her. She's just getting to that point where she's just, she's taking it all in. I just want to spend some time with her. Why am I feeling that way? Watch this. Because it's reasonable. That's how God made us. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed, Romans 1, 16, of the gospel of Christ. And this is what we talked about today. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Watch this. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from, say it with me, faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall what? Live by faith. From the wrath of God, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. For all of those who don't want to play the game, for all of those who are looking at other kids playing a reasonable game and their emotions aren't affected, they're not happy at a wedding, they're not sad at a funeral, for therein is the wrath of God revealed to those that have left the natural use of joy, left the natural use of happiness, have left the natural use of life. Look at the next verse. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world, watch, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? Without excuse. People who say there is no God, they are taking a place of foolishness. They are not playing the game of life the way God wants them to be played. Jesus said, you're like children in the marketplace that are not playing this game correctly. And they're not without excuse. Why? Look at the last one. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they what? Thankful. But became vain in their, what is it? Imagination. And their foolish heart was darkened. Why is this contextually relevant? Because verse 35 in Luke 7 says, but wisdom is justified of all her children. The Bible says in Romans that the just, those who are justified, shall live by what? Faith. The Bible says their foolish heart was darkened because their imagination was vain. I'm scared for this generation. Because you're imagining things that are not reality in God's world. The reality of heaven, the reality of the gospel, the power of God is revealed from faith to faith. Not from foolishness to foolishness. Children playing in a marketplace that desire not to play the game of life the way God intended it have left the original use. They've left the natural use of everything. They don't understand. And that's what Jesus was saying to this Pharisee. And then he rolls right into a story where a Pharisee approaches Jesus and he says, hey, I want you to come to my house. I want you to come, uh, come talk to me for a few minutes. 
<coughs> Excuse me. The thing about foolishness is that it doesn't make sense to the opposing context. It only makes sense in the mind of a fool. To the woman who came in, who came into the Pharisee's house, immediately her emotions were moved. Immediately in the presence of God, she felt the way she was supposed to feel. Yes or no? But the Pharisee didn't play. She, she washed his feet with her what? That's the story that Jesus gave those in the marketplace that are playing a song and, and they're not dancing. Mourning and they're not weeping. She was on the extreme end. And Jesus says it makes sense that she was on the extreme end. Why? In the parable, he said, to those that are forgiven the most, love the most. So this lets you into the secret of, of dealing with your emotions correctly. Your position in Christ. If we see who we are in front of Him, we're all horrible. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior that should move us when we see what He did. It's natural, Romans 1. And that power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And that will motivate us to live in such a way that allows the right emotion to come out at the right times. How many of you are just practically speaking, you're struggling with your kid, you're struggling with your team. They're just not right. My young adult doesn't get it. They probably never will. Just kidding. <laughs> They just don't, they're not living life correctly. They're not seeing through the right filter. Then chances are, they're only seeing themselves. Those that were forgiven the most, love the most. They're seeing them. All the Pharisee saw was himself. What does this tell us in the story? It tells us that the Pharisee was a part of the game that Jesus doesn't play. He was a part of the collaborative effort to put Jesus on the witness stand, to crucify Him, to catch Him in a lie. The same Pharisees who saw Him working on the Sabbath day, right? We know His intentions were not correct because we can look at how His emotions played out in the situation. And Jesus says, this woman washed my feet with her tears. You didn't even offer me a bowl to wash my feet in. She's anointing me with the most precious ointment that she has. Yes, I get it that she is a prostitute. Yes, I understand that her sin is great. Remember, the, the Pharisee looks at him and says, if he knew what manner of woman this was, he would not let her touch him. And Jesus thought the exact opposite. So here's the point where it, where it shifts. What is scriptural is not always culturally relevant. What is scriptural is not always relevant. What is wise Wisdom hath revealed herself in her children is foolish to the world. And this is where if loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Right? You can just hear the old, if loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. You can just hear that old pastor saying that. And that's where I'm at. This is where the cultural relevant thing, I lose, this is where I, it just loses me. I'm lost in the weeds on this one. 
Because she comes into the house and she is emotionally ripped because she's in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. She is in the presence of the one that will make all of her wrongs right. And she felt that. And that produced love. But see, I'm having a hard time squeezing out of these modern day Christians any sort of emotional love. I could pinch you and love ain't going to come out. Come on, I'm just trying to get you to see a little bit of, a little bit of, is there anywhere in that cold heart of yours, Rob, just kidding, that feels any kind of compassion for the fact that there are people out there worse off than you? Are we like children that if we were to play a game of marriage, we would be happy and dancing? Or have you lost your dance? You've stopped playing the game. This is life, church. And we have it through the lens of the gospel. Romans 1.16 The power of God is the gospel. Jesus came down, born of a virgin, dwelled among men, lived perfectly. So that He could take all of our non-perfectness on Himself and pay our debt. You know, the, the, the reasonable thing, here's the thing, the reasonable thing is if, I, if we go out to lunch and I say, hey man, I got you, bro, and I pay for his lunch, next time we go out to lunch, come on, man, what's reasonable? You pay for mine. That's right. We'll see how that works. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> it's reasonable. But nowadays, people don't get that. Here, man, let me get that. <laughs> Thanks. One up. Let me get another one. Let me get another one. Let me see how far I can get ahead. Oh, I have to lie to get more? Sure. You've sold your soul. The just wisdom hath claimed her children in righteousness. But the thing about foolishness is they just don't see it. The Pharisee at the end of the day was still the Pharisee. There's two types of people in this world when it comes to the game that Jesus wants us to play. And that's the hater and the player. The hater is this. He only wanted to be in the presence of Jesus to find fault. Church, listen. Jesus is a winner. Everyone else is a what? Hater. (laughs) Hater. And the thing about haters, they're going to what? Hate, 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 hate. People who don't play, watch this. Those children, remember that? Take yourself back to that scenario. Who were you? And, and, and some of us, we deal with insecurities from our childhood. They never played with me. I took my ball and went home. We don't have those insecurities in Jesus. He wants us to play. He wants us to play this game correctly and rightly from a position of wisdom. And so in doing so, the gospel says that he paid for everything. We're going to the ball game on His ticket. We're playing this game of life with His righteousness, not our own. So everyone else that decides not to play the game the way He wants to, they're haters. They hate on Him. They can't stand Him. The Bible says the devil hath blinded their eyes. That was the Pharisee. I was watching an interview this week of Elon Musk and uh, Joe Rogan. And, um, you know, strong language. There's my disclaimer. But, you know, I, I like to kind of just hear other people's point of view and perspective. Anybody else in that? I'm all about that. Podcast, whatever. So I'm, I'm listening to this. 
And I'm listening to Mr. Musk. Check the time. Oh, I'm listening to Mr. Musk. And he's just like, to me, to me, he's out in left field. Completely out in left field. I'm like listening to him express his concern about artificial intelligence. AI and robots, and they're going to come, they're going to take us over. I mean, we're going to get to a point where we are all serving robots. And I mean, this man, he's a billionaire, controlling our industries. <laughs> like, he's literally so smart. He's making moves that are affecting cities of people, right? And this man believes that he's one step above a chimpanzee. Do you understand what I'm saying? This man wholeheartedly believes in the process of evolution and that he evolved to this point. Every emotion he has is a learned behavior, is a determining factor from something else that got him there. Church, follow me. The game that he is playing is scary. It is one of survival. Survival of the fittest. And if we don't change now, the aliens are coming. I'm not even playing. Like, it was that. And I could see Joe Rogan like, yeah. Okay, bro, let's smoke weed. <laughs> no joke. That's what they ended up doing. But I, I, I'm not even playing. Like, it was such a crazy thing. And let me explain something, and whether I'm not trying to offend any of you, but this is where the culture is. This is where we are in the world today. The people up here, the elite pulling the strings, believe they're one step above a chimpanzee and believe that the aliens are coming. I'm just down, I'm a little kid down here in the marketplace, just playing wedding and playing funeral. And I'm just laughing and crying. I'm living life in such a simple way over here where Jesus has me, where I'm a created being, and that he loves me, and that he put me in a position to live righteously, to be an example to other people. He put me in a place where I can do for the whole world that doesn't have, and I'm doing it on his behalf, not on behalf of myself. I'm not trying to create some kind of crazy robot to keep me here longer. I'm trying to create some love to spread the gospel to get me up there sooner. That's it. And if you listen to this podcast, Mr. Musk, all respect. <laughs> but the love of God is why I'm here. Amen. Not my intelligence. Somebody needs to take him back to the playground where we had emotions that God gave us before we knew what 2 plus 2 was. Just saying. But here's the problem. We Christians, we're not living the game correctly. We've become complacent. The salt hath lost its savor. The player wants the presence of Jesus to find them and forgive them, which leads them to fulfillment. Look at verse 50 in our text. Luke 7, 50. I'm shutting it down. I'm circling the wagons. And he said to the woman, Thy what? Faith hath saved thee. Go in what? Church, when she went into that house that day, 
she had one goal. One. And that was to love Jesus. That was it. When I say simply Jesus, Bethlehem Church, simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. I just want to get that point across. I want to get it across. Simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. What are we all about here, church? Simply Jesus. What does that mean? It means in the most childlike way, I want to love Jesus. When I chose to marry my wife, listen, I made a choice to love her. I'm not following a feeling that could end in 10 years. That's what's wrong with this generation. I'm not following a feeling that could end in 20. Or watch out for some of you, 30 years, 40 years, people get divorced. Watch out. We're not living out. (laughs) We're not living out an emotion. We're living out a decision that was rooted in heaven. That's what's reasonable. Wisdom hath claimed her children. And if you're a child of the light, that means you have chosen Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And it is a commitment as seen in this woman that we're to love Jesus. She loved him in several ways. Right? Her tears that fell. She gave of her resources. (coughs) We don't have to live, church, on a hamster wheel. We can accomplish something with our lives. I felt for that man listening to his crazy talk about aliens and stuff. He's on a billion dollar hamster wheel. A billion dollar hamster wheel. No purpose. I'm going to save the world from climate change. I talked, to a cu- I talked to a customer this week. I had two customers side by side that signed in Dundalk. And she's an artist. And she came out. I'm not, I'm not even playing. She came outside. She gave me the contract and the check. And she says, uh, it's really cold. I said, yes, ma'am, it is. <laughs> I didn't know where she was going with it. She's like, People who don't believe in climate change, I just don't get it. <laughs> and I was like, man, the climate has been going in a seasonal change like for years. And I'm not saying I'm pro-climate change or not. I'm just saying like, just because it got cold outside doesn't mean that we're all about to burn up. You know what I mean? It's just the way that we're looking at it. We have no more trust in God. Let's say the climate is changing. Sure. Scientific facts, blah, 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 blah. All for it. What do we do about it? Put our faith and trust in God. Live simply the way the Bible tells us to live and stop consuming everything around us and maybe that'll change a little bit, right? I get it. Like, we're, we're, we're crazy. Like, I'm just saying there's a simpler lens to look through things and that's this lens. Love Jesus. If we love Jesus more, here's how it works. We'll give more of our resources to him and stop spending them on ourselves. That'll help the climate, won't it? Maybe we'll have less unrecyclable Keurig cups if we're giving more to foreign missions. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we'll live making our own coffee in the old school filters that don't kill the environment because we have to because we're living on a budget because we're giving more to Jesus. I'm just saying. I got the the government needs to call me real quick. I got the fix. 
the point of the game is loving Jesus. Here's, watch this. How do we know if we're loving Jesus? Here's the three areas that the woman gave. Our time, our affections, and our resources. Our time, our affections, and our resources. Are any of them being spent on him? Are you playing this game rightly? Or are you choosing to play something else? Our time, our affections, and our resources. Let me just shoot straight with you. You ready? Fireside chat with Pastor Matt. Because it's the fall and we need fireside chats. Listen to me, church. Let me just be real simple with it. Why are you sitting over in the corner in the marketplace? The kids are playing. They're playing pretend wedding. Go have fun. What's keeping you from playing with the kids? What she did to you a year ago? The devil is really good at what he does. God chose the church for us to live and play the game together. This is the organization that he chose in Scripture. He said live in community with each other. That community is supposed to reach the world, not, not alone, through your local church. Here we are playing wedding. We're playing funeral, and you're over there laughing. Here's what I'm saying. Like, you're not feeling the gravity of the situation. The world is lost and dying and going to hell. There's hundreds of millions of people without good, clean, running water. What are you doing about it? The church can do something about that. But we're just not playing that game. What's taking your time so that you can't give your time in this environment? Is it your work? What are you working for? If we believe that Jesus is coming back and the only thing that we have done for him is what's going to last, then why are you working your fingers off? For what? Spend some time with your kids. Spend some time in a small group growing your faith so that you can be claimed by wisdom. You know, foolishness has not, is not done claiming its victims. There's a new philosophy out there every day of the week that will claim another and claim another, and it just keeps evolving. It's called the devil. He's the father of all lies. He's fathered them. Oh, wait, here's another. Here's another one. <laughs> Let me give you that one. Fireside chat, church. What are you giving your time to? Go back and look at your calendar from last week. How much time did you spend at the church? Did you miss small group? Are you serving in the upcoming trunk or treat? What, what, about, what about your affection? Tomorrow morning, are you going to get on your knees and pour out your heart to God? It's reasonable. Jesus said it's reasonable to play this game as a child. It's reasonable for that woman. Think about her affections. Where did she pour them out? On Jesus. Tomorrow morning, through habit, that I've formed, because I know it's reasonable, I'm going to get on my knees, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to love on Jesus with my affection. When I'm here this morning, I'm going to hug every one of you that I can, give you the sickness that I have. Just kidding, I'm over it. But I'm going to hug each one of you because I believe in giving you affection 
that is building each other up in Jesus. And then the last one, resources. She used those resources for years on things that she should not. And when she saw Jesus, she saw something that was worthy of all she had. What are you giving to God? What are you giving to God? Like, seriously. It's pretty simple. If you have trouble wrapping your head around it, just go sit at the playground for a little while. Take your kids to the playground and just sit back and watch them play. They don't overthink it. It just what? Happens. If you choose to let your relationship with God happen this week, if you choose to give him more time, if you choose to give him more resources, I've never met a Christian, I've never met a believer that did that, that said, what a waste. (laughs) Never. I've only seen people, man, that was awesome. Because it's how you were designed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I got a little raw today in some areas. But foolishness is claimed enough. It's claimed enough people. Wisdom is ready to reveal her children through the righteousness of God. If you're ready for that, I just want you to commit to Jesus. Simply speaking, I'm going to love Jesus more this week. If you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I'm complicating life. Nobody's looking. I'm going to love Jesus more this week. Here's my hand. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love him more. Boom. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Great. There's more. I'm going to love Jesus more this week. Here's my hand. Great. Awesome. That's all it takes. It's just a simple thing. It happens naturally. The more you give into it, the more you're going to want to give. We see that with this woman. But on the other side of the table was someone who would not even give him that which was reasonable. He didn't even wash his feet when he came in. He would have done that to a complete stranger. It's a heart issue. If you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I've never given to Jesus because I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Can you pray for me, Pastor Matt? That that I could get to a place that I could give Jesus my life. Can you pray for me? I need prayer. Here's my hand. I've never given Jesus my life. That's okay. I've never done that. I just want to pray for you. By your testimony, we're all saved. (laughs) Here's a question for you. And then we'll all just pray together. How many of you, you've been at this game a long time and somewhere along the way you've just started to complicate your relationship with Jesus? Say, Pastor Matt, I'm just complicating my relationship with Jesus. Here's my hand. I'm complicating things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, here, I got a piece of advice for you. Ready? Don't do it. (laughs) I got another piece of advice. Stop it. This week, Just love Jesus. 